All right, all right. Welcome to the Cava Ships Podcast, where we try and cut through the fog and the murk and shine a bit of light on naval and maritime issues of the day. I'm Chris Cavas. And I'm Chris Cervello. The Cava Ships Podcast is sponsored by HII. HII is a trusted defense and technologies partner supporting all services in all domains and America's only builder of nuclear-powered aircraft carriers. HII, delivering hard stuff done right. Coming up, the website Naval News is one of the world's premier sources for naval information around the world. Founder and editor Xavier Vavasor is with us to talk about some of the latest trends he's seen and reported on so far in a very busy 2023. But first, a look at this week's Naval News. A U.S. Navy P-8A Poseidon Maritime Patrol aircraft flew through the Taiwan Strait July 13th between mainland China and Taiwan. It's the third time this year a U.S. Navy P-8 has made the transit. China, of course, slammed the flight. The Chinese Naval Task Force visiting West Africa called it Libreville, Gabon, on July 8th after visiting Nigeria. The three ships, a destroyer, a frigate, and a supply ship, are the 43rd Escort Group, which previously had operated in the Gulf of Aden. And on July 11th, two Russian frigates, the Gromki and Sovershini, left Wusong, Shanghai, China, after a week-long visit. The Bataan Amphibious Ready Group left Norfolk and Little Creek, Virginia, July 10th to deploy with the 26th Marine Expeditionary Unit. The amphibious ships Bataan, Carter Hall, and Mesa Verde proceeded to Moorhead City, North Carolina, where the 26th Mew embarked. The force is expected to operate in the European and Central Command theaters of operation. Exercise Unitas 64 began July 12th in the host nation of Colombia involving 26 warships, three submarines, 25 aircraft, and about 7,000 people from 20 countries. Among the U.S. ships taking part are the submarine Pasadena, amphibious ship New York, littoral combat ship Little Rock, and expeditionary fast transport Burlington. The Burlington is carrying several unmanned surface vessels and aircraft. And in the Adriatic Sea, NATO exercise Neptune Strike was underway by July 11th. Among the ships taking part, are the USS Gerald R. Ford Carrier Strike Group, the Italian carrier Giuseppe Garibaldi, a French frigate, and a Croatian missile boat. Media in the U.S. and Australia are speculating that Australian shipbuilder Austal Limited might be for sale. Austal Limited is the parent company of Austal USA in Mobile, Alabama, builders of littoral combat ships, expeditionary fast transports, salvage ships, and surveillance ships for the U.S. Navy, and of offshore patrol cutters for the U.S. Coast Guard. The Financial Review on July 10th reported the South Korean conglomerate Hanwha is considering buying Austal. Hanwha in May acquired a controlling stake in Daewoo Shipbuilding, one of South Korea's largest shipbuilders, for about $1.5 billion. As they say, watch this space for more. The submarine Connecticut, SSN-22, finally entered dry dock July 12th to carry out a major repair job and extended dry docking selected restricted availability following major damage to her bow after striking a submerged object at sea on October 2nd, 2021. The repair work is estimated to be completed no sooner than September 2025. The dry dock is the number five dock at Naval Shipyard Puget Sound, which recently underwent seismic mitigation efforts before it could be used again. 
In new ship news, the new fleet oiler USNS Harvey Milk, TAO-206, was delivered to the U.S. Navy's Military Sealift Command July 11th from shipbuilders General Dynamics NASCO in San Diego. The Harvey Milk is the second of the new John Lewis class. Seven more oilers are building or under contract at NASCO, with a total of 20 ships planned. And on July 14th, Secretary of the Navy Carlos del Toro announced the new towing salvage and rescue tug TATS-11 would bear the name of Billy Frank Jr., a Marine Corps veteran and noted American Indian fishing rights activist. And in historic ship news, the U.S. Naval History and Heritage Command announced July 10th it has positively identified the wreck of the escort carrier USS Omni Bay, CVE-79. Sunk by a Japanese kamikaze attack January 4th, 1945, in the Sulu Sea. 95 sailors were lost in the sinking. The wreck had been found in 2019 by the team from Vulcan LLC operating from the ship Petrel, but the Navy held off a positive identification until now. And that's a look at just some of this week's Naval News. With us today is the founder and editor of Naval News, the website that covers the world like no other naval site does, Xavier Vavasour. Xavier, welcome to the podcast. Bonjour, Chris, and uh, thank you so much for the opportunity to uh, host me on your famous uh, podcast. Oh, yes. Well, you know, we thought since it's, 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 uh, it's Bastille Day, uh, what better way to, than, than, than to have a, a link up here from Paris? So, um, Xavier, you have been... You know, you, you, you travel the world like a few people in the naval media do, and you've been to so many places already this year. You've been to Japan, uh, Singapore, South Korea. You've been on a number of ships. You have talked to endless people, the developing systems around the world. And I, you know, I'd really like to hear some of your impressions of what you've been, ta- what you've been seeing this year, some of the trends that you've been noticing. Right. Uh, yeah, indeed. I, I, I've been to uh, quite a few countries uh, already, uh, mostly in Asia, but uh, I've been uh, to the big um, IDEX uh, defense show in, in the UAE, United Arab Emirates. Uh, but uh, yeah, w- one of the main trends I've, uh, I've been noticing this year is uh, the concept of uh, motherships for unmanned systems. Motherships. Uh, yeah. So basically, uh, a large vessel uh, designed to accommodate, launch, and recover a number of unmanned systems. They may be unmanned surface vehicles, UUVs, unmanned underwater vehicles, or even the vertical takeoff and landing uh, UAVs. Uh, I've seen them pretty much. I mean, I've seen this concept uh, pretty much uh, everywhere and it's actually more than a concept because uh some uh, navies are actual pioneers in the field uh, i believe it's in it was in back in may this year uh french shipyard naval group uh, in Brittany launched uh, the first such uh, mothership for the belgian navy uh the belgians and the dutch uh uh, have that uh, RMCM, which stands for uh, Replacement Mine Countermeasure Vessel Program. And uh, as far as I know, they're pretty much the, the, the pioneers in the field. The, the, the first one that will soon have a mothership, each Navy a mothership operational. Uh, so the vessel will 
be dedicated to mine warfare missions. But uh, again, the, the, the whole ship is designed around uh, the launch and recovery and use of uh, unmanned systems uh, for uh, remote mine warfare, so that the, the, the sailors uh, may uh, may stay out of the of the minefield. Uh, so that's a real program. But uh, what I've seen uh, so far this year um, are projects or soon-to-be programs, uh, and they take it a step further, especially in uh, in Asia, because uh, unlike uh, what the Belgians are doing, those vessels will be full-fledged surface combatants uh, designed to accommodate those uh, unmanned systems. So I've seen a lot of that in, uh, in South Korea uh, last month. Uh, at the big uh, naval, naval defense show called Madex, it's held in, in Busan at, uh, on the southern coast of South Korea. Uh, they had a lot going on. Uh, I, I, I've seen a lot. So they had uh, some are very much uh, almost like science fiction. Uh, there was that uh, large uh, drone mothership. Uh, it was like some kind of aircraft carrier with a multi deck arrangement. So they had more than one deck. Uh, one, uh, one deck was dedicated to the recovery of fixed-wing UAVs. Uh, another deck was dedicated to the launch of uh, fixed-wing UAVs, uh, including with, uh, with a catapult. Right. And then a third deck was uh, dedicated to the launch and recovery of uh, vertical takeoff and landing uh, UAVs. And then at the stern, uh, there was a, a well deck uh, to launch and recover USVs as well as uh, UUVs and uh, XL UUVs. But uh, a, a lot of so we we covered that event. Uh, I, uh, as usual, I, uh, I I produced a video about uh, including about that, that project. A lot of the comments were like, uh, "This really looks like something out of uh, the Avengers uh, series of of movies, very uh, science fiction." But uh, is it? Uh, is it uh, ever going to see the light of day? Uh, well, who knows? Uh, we'll, we'll see in the future. But what's uh, to me, what uh, was uh, even more uh, interesting, uh, and I think that's more likely to, to see the light of day, was the what they call the KDDX-S project. Um, so that's, like I said earlier, that's a full-fledged surface combatant. So it's based on their KDDX destroyer. That's an ongoing program, uh, the South Korean's uh, next generation destroyer program. Uh, the KDDX-S uh, will be a mothership. So based on the hull form of the destroyer, um, uh, they told me uh, it's an upcoming program uh, which uh, is set to replace uh, what they are calling the KDX two ships, or the they're also known as the and pardon my Korean here, but the Cheng Mugong Yi Sun C class destroyers uh, that were launched in the early two thousands, if I remember right. They displace about, uh, so the KDDX-S, they displace around 7,000 tons. And again, the, the, the scale model on display at the show showed uh, that uh, they'll be able to accommodate uh, UASVs, XL UUVs even, so uh, extra large underwater, uh, unmanned underwater vehicles because uh, South Korea has uh, at least one XL UUV uh, program going on. And of course, uh, they'll be able to uh, launch and recover 
vertical takeoff and landing uh, UAVs. And this ship will feature uh, reduced manning. Uh, at the same time, of course, as I said, it's based on the destroyer. So the, 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 the destroyer will feature a number of uh, vertical launching systems, uh, a main gun, uh, laser weapon systems, and, and, and so on. But that's still uh, very much a, a project. Uh, there's a couple of ships I was able to tour uh, at the Index Asia show in, uh, in Singapore in uh, early May. Uh, the first one was the Mogami class uh, frigate of the JMSDF, the Japanese Navy. And uh, the other one was the PPA, the Francesco Morosini, the, the second uh, class, uh, second ship in the class of the, of the Italian Navy. And uh, to some extent, those two classes of ships uh, are already, in a way, uh, can be considered as, as mother ships. Uh, the FFM, uh, so it's a frigate right now, it doesn't have uh, vertical launch systems, although uh, there's, uh, there's funding for to, to make that happen. So the follow-on ships in the class uh, are likely to come with uh, Mark 41 uh, VLSs to, uh, to deploy uh, ESSMs. Right. The, the, uh, this, is, this is the, uh, the Japanese Mogami class. Exactly, yeah. FFM, also known as FFM. FFM, yeah, absolutely. Uh, but the main focus of these ships, uh, as I understand, is mine warfare. Uh, they have uh, under the helicopter uh, platform, there's a storm ramp to launch and recover, of course, uh, ribs, uh, rigid hull, rigid inflatable boats, as well as uh, USVs for mine warfare missions. Um, they have in Japan several programs for uh, vertical takeoff and landing UAVs, specifically for the FFM class. And uh, the, the FFM class will be able to uh, uh, launch and recover uh, UUVs, uh, the overall range of UUVs, for both for mine uh, detection and identification and neutralization, either from the UAVs or directly from the, uh, the FFM class. And, uh, and, and this vessel is uh, quite, uh, quite lean uh, manning. Uh, the, the crew is only uh, 90 sailors for a displacement of uh, 5,500 tons. So that's not a whole lot of, uh, of sailors uh, for uh, such a, a, large, uh, a large surface combatant. Um, what else can I say? I mean, the, the vessel was very modern. Of course, they, they, they didn't show us uh, the, the, the CIC, which was uh, off limit, but uh, on on the bridge it looked uh, pretty modern. Uh, the vessel is very uh, stealth in design. Uh, yeah, I mean, very uh, very different compared to existing uh, escort ships, as they call it in uh, in the Japanese Navy or GMSDF. Can I, uh, Xavier, can I jump in just for one second? Um, yeah. The motherships that you're describing are, uh, uh, I mean, are really interesting to hear about. How, um, how are they progressing in pairing already existing unmanned platforms and new platforms? Are they building them in tandem or are they building these motherships? Now, you, you mentioned um, 
different types of classes that the mothership could handle, but are they making the same progress with their uh, unmanned uh, or uncrewed uh, platforms, or does that lag behind like you see in the United States and other Western navies? So I, I think in the case of uh, Japan, uh, the two programs were run in parallel. Uh, they had one program for the, the USVs, at the same time, they had the FFM program, and they were both go, like running on in parallel. Um, in South Korea, the the unmanned systems, I believe, are precursor are, are preceding the, uh, the the mothership program. In Belgium, uh, they are being run in parallel as well, uh, and in. Um, one uh, another program I meant to to mention in uh, in Singapore is uh, what they call the MR, MRCV program, multi-role combat vessel, uh, and that takes it a step further because uh, those are eight thousand tons uh, vessels or very big ships, like destroyer size, with just eighty sailors. And uh, basically, these vessels they will be surface combatant. They'll be fitted with. Uh, anti-ship missiles, uh, long-range surface-to-air missiles, uh, an advanced like, integrated mast with a, with a phased array uh, radars. Um, but they are very, very much designed around the, the unmanned systems. Uh, by that, I mean uh, they are designed to accommodate uh, two or even three uh, 16 meters or about 55 feet unmanned surface vessels. Uh, so those are pretty big uh, USVs. Uh, they displace about 30 tons, and that's what drives the requirement. That, as I understand, that's why that's why those vessels are so big, 8,000 tons. Even though the, those are MRCV vessels in Singapore are said to replace uh, Victory class corvettes uh, from 2028, which were which are displacing uh, just uh, 600 tons. So uh, there you go. You have like. The Republic of Singapore Navy is set to replace uh, 600 tons uh, corvettes with 8,000 tons uh, destroyer-like motorships. And uh, the 16 meters or 55 feet uh, USBs, uh, those are already in service. Uh, so that's why every Navy in that uh, in that aspect is is doing its own uh, thing. But uh, usually the I would say usually the the unmanned systems and the mothership programs are run in parallel, but in uh, in Singapore um, the unmanned systems very much precede the the mothership program, and that's why uh, they have to build the mothership around the the existing uh, USBs. Can you talk a little bit about another ship, another big new ship that I'm I certainly would like to see, and uh, you've now been aboard, and that's the the Italian PPA. These are very large, multi-purpose offshore patrol vessels, but they look like big frigates. Um, yep. they're, they're, they're new. There's only two in service. Uh, the second one now, Francesco Morosini, is deployed out to the Western Pacific. That is, you know, before I even talk about the ship, that ship was delivered to the Italian Navy and commissioned in October, October 2022. And about three, four months later, they deployed to the Western Pacific. 
in the U.S. Navy, that would take at least a year and a half, if not two years, from commissioning to an actual deployment. This ship is, 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 is deployed now to the Western Pacific, was just the first Italian ship to visit Japan in like 20, 23 years or something, 26 years. Um, but you were you went on board this. This is a fascinating ship. It's and and it's this is not a full out warship, but this is this is meant to be a service combatant that meets a variety of day to day missions that people encounter short of all out conflict. Um, talk about the the Italian PPA, if you would. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I I think I I should really start with the. The, the bridge and the and, and the CIC because uh, so that ship I, I was able to tour it in uh, in Singapore uh, right before touring uh, the Japanese uh, FFM and uh, unlike the Japanese the Italian at least showed me the the the, the, the CIC but uh, wow I mean I've never seen uh, anything like it except maybe in a, in science fiction uh, movie. Uh, some of the folks uh, listening to us uh, may be familiar with the, 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 the cockpit and board the PPA, but so basically they have a very, very unique uh, bridge uh, layout uh, where at the very front of the bridge, uh, they have something called the naval cockpit and uh, it, it really what's, uh, what it stands for. It's, uh, it's very, it really looks like uh, an aircraft cockpit or spaceship cupcake for that for that matter um very uh very advanced they have those uh large uh, flat screen uh, that are touch screen as well uh, the consoles are made of carbon fiber uh, the, the the commanding officer has his own uh, station on on the bridge sitting right be, behind the, the the naval cockpit uh he has large screen who can come out of the console by the, the press of a button. And um, from what I retain, so the, 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 the naval cockpit in itself, so it's a station for two sailors. Uh, on the left-hand side uh, sits the, the, the navigator. On the right-hand side is the an officer in charge of uh, communication, as well as in charge of operating the the remote weapon station uh, on board the on board the vessel. Uh, the cockpit is based on uh, an actual aircraft cockpit, so the, the, the cockpit found on board the EH-101 helicopters. Uh, they have a large uh, central console with uh, a lot of uh, switches and, and and buttons and and screens. I mean, it's very. Uh, it's very unique and unlike anything I've, I, I've seen before. Uh, the, the CIC in itself uh, is very unique as well. It has a very, uh, a very large uh, wall of, uh, of screens where they can display a, a lot of uh, information uh, relative to the, you know, the tactical situation or the navigation or uh, tactical maps and, and, and so on. They have uh, on the bridge as well, they have a, a large uh, tactical table that they use for mission planning and uh, that the commanding officer can use for briefing his crew before, uh, before uh, conducting their, their, their mission. Uh, the PPA class, uh, 
like uh, previous uh, ships uh, I, I mentioned earlier, uh, is quite uh, lean in terms of manning uh, because the the PPA light crew is uh, only uh, 90 sailors uh, for displacement of uh, about uh, 5,000 tons. So that's the light displacement. And it's a very modular uh, vessel. Uh, they have... Uh, they have two modular mission spaces. Um, when I visited the ship, I discovered I, I had no idea, but a midship, the, they have a David system, of course, to launch and recover uh, ribs. Well, those Davids are modular as well, so they can, uh, if they don't need Davids, they can take the Davids off board and they can fit uh, other containers in there. Uh, for other missions, uh, potentially they could even conduct uh, minor warfare missions or fit uh, some kinds of weapon systems there. Uh, again, like we were mentioning earlier, like the mothership concept. Well, to some extent, the, the PPA could uh, could accommodate uh, launch and recover unmanned systems thanks to thanks to its uh, to its uh, modularity. Um, the helicopter hangar is uh, very, uh, very wide, uh, very large compared to the, the, the size of the, of the vessel. Uh, one of the reasons is that uh, one of the mission of the PPA and one of the reasons why the PPA was designed as well was to uh, address uh, uh, humanitarian or even, uh, let's say, immigration issues. My, my, uh, migrant issues. The the Italian yeah, Navy has been absolutely because for, Italy is on the years. is on the forefront of uh, of that uh, migrant issue. Uh, uh, most of the the, the migrant uh, vessels coming from uh, North Africa are are landing are going towards Italy because that's the the, the closest uh, European shore from uh, from Libya and Tunisia and so on. So yeah, the, the, the PPA was, uh, was designed for that as well, to be able to accommodate uh, a large number of, uh, of passenger. Before, in, in, in the time we have left, can you go back to, let, let's go back to Japan. And uh, in our, when we've been talking, um, Japan is much more open now to export. They're looking for international business. Um, they've sort of, sort of wet their whistle, if you will, with, uh, uh, this, the Australian submarine program a few years ago, they did not, obviously didn't win, but they've really had a real change of heart in terms of marketing their, their equipment. Can you talk about that for a while? Yeah, sure. Uh, so something that uh, really struck me and stood out for me uh, this year in Japan, uh, I was at the trade show there in, uh, in March, I believe, is that for the first time uh, covering a, a defense trade show in Japan, for the very first time, uh, weapon systems were, were on display on the show floor. Uh, I've been covering uh, trade shows in Japan back in uh, 2017 and 2019. And back then, uh, you would see no missiles, no gun systems, no nothing. Like You would only see maybe unmanned systems, sensor systems, and, uh, and, uh, and so on. And not only uh, systems were on the display this time, but uh, they were fairly open, uh, both uh, contractors and uh, 
Atla, uh, which is uh, which is uh, an entity somewhat similar to uh, to, to NAFSI in in the US, so they, they were fairly open and fairly welcoming, including to foreign media like us. Uh, you know, to uh, to pitch their system, to uh, to talk about their programs and and so on, and uh, yeah, and 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 then Japan, yeah. So they they have a lot of uh, anti-ship uh, missile and strike missile programs going on. Uh, you can very you you can really feel uh, that uh, they are. It, it's like a revolution for them, and uh, they are taking the the. the the threat of China very very seriously, and uh, they are they are developing their uh, capability uh, at a, at a really fast pace. It it was uh, it was very impressive. Uh, yeah, I would just like to uh, mention something that uh, really struck me and uh, surprised me during one of the the, the tour of the ships I uh, I was lucky enough to do this year. So it was uh, in the UAE. Uh, I had a rare chance to tour uh, a Chinese uh, Type 052D or DL uh, destroyer. That's uh, one of the destroyers with the extended uh, flight deck for those uh, familiar with this uh, class of ships. Uh, the ship in question was the Nanning. Uh, so two very, uh, very important, uh, the, the main uh, Things that really stood out for me were first, the ship was really in pristine conditions. Uh, I've been touring quite a few ships uh, in my short career so far, and I actually have never seen uh, a vessel in such a good condition, except when I was uh, touring brand new ships about to be delivered uh, to the French Navy at the Naval Group shipyard in, uh, in Brittany. And uh, that Chinese destroyer has been deployed for a number of months. It had just participated in an international uh, exercise in Pakistan. And there it was calling in uh, Abu Dhabi and it was looking like a brand new vessel. So that was uh, very surprising and almost surreal uh, to me. And uh, while touring the ship, uh, I could not help but notice compared to you know, other vessel I'm, I'm used to tour now, so European frigates or even uh, US Navy destroyers and so on. Uh, what really stood out to me was the lack of uh, firefighting and damage control equipment inside the vessel. It was, it was very, very strange. And now I pay attention to those details whenever I visit a vessel. And now, it, I mean, the, the the more I pay attention to it, the more I realize that the Chinese uh, destroyer was very different. Uh, for example, there was uh, walking from the helicopter deck uh, to inside the vessel. There was only a single watertight door. Uh, the second door was not watertight. watertight. Uh, I was lucky enough to tour USS John Finn in Japan probably three weeks after touring uh, the Chinese uh, Nanning destroyer. And uh, I really felt the difference between uh, USS John Finn and, uh, and that Chinese destroyer. Uh, all the things that uh, really stood out uh, was that they were storing uh, a vessel inside the ship with uh, gas tanks next to that uh, small boat. And a few feet ahead of the small boat was the triple torpedo launcher with no separation whatsoever between the fuel tanks and the torpedo launcher, no damage control equipment, 
nothing uh, work, working from uh, aft to the front of the ship. I could not find uh, any kind of uh, watertight door inside the vessel except the, the watertight door at the very aft and at the very front of the vessel. I mean, again, very, uh, very surprising. And uh, uh, like I said, I've toured uh, the Japanese uh, FFM. I've toured the Italian uh, PPA. Heck, I even toured the South Korean built uh, frigate of the Philippine Navy. And they all featured uh, double watertight doors uh you know pressurized atmosphere at controlled atmosphere and so on and none of which i found on the chinese destroyer so uh that's i mean that's very uh that's very surprising i don't know what your opinion is about this but maybe uh maybe that's why the chinese managed to build in such large number maybe the the quality of the vessels is not there i mean i'm not a naval architect but uh it's just what i what i could observe while uh, while touring that uh, chinese destroyer yeah, that very much matches what we heard from Admiral Greenard, Chris, uh, last week, you, you know, when he toured uh, ships uh, that were being built, you, you know, almost 10 years ago now. Um, and he was struck by the same thing that, uh, you know, the idea of fighting the ship was just not the same in the Chinese lexicon as it was in U.S. and partner navies. I mean, you know, it, it really sounds, it sounds like echoes of the old Soviet Navy in the Cold War. And uh, in those days, people decried the appearance of American and NATO ships, well, you know, and, and, and the Russians, the Soviets, that the, the Soviets were just covered in sensors and weapons everywhere. Um, wasn't a whole lot below decks. But one of the big differences was the, the, these were, to a great extent, one-shot ships. They had a life expectancy of you know, hours, if not minutes, um, their job was to shoot off their, all, all their missiles and um, then probably die. And that was a, it's, it, it's a tactic. It is definitely a tactic if you're trying to, if, if your primary target is a U.S. Navy carrier strike group, get in, get in somewhere within range and just shoot everything. But they don't have staying, they don't, really don't seem to have staying power. And that's one reason I think they're, they're able to build so fast and so many, they just don't worry about it. And, you know, they, they have numbers, but they're, they don't have staying power, the individual units. So, I mean, more and more, this is, this is coming out that when we look at the Chinese Navy, you know, what are we looking at? And in many cases, we're looking at um, another version of the U.S. Navy. But that's, that's true, but it's, but it's more superficial than internal. And then you get inside their ships and you... you you see these things, these very perceptive um, observations about a lack of damage control, a lack of thought about fires. This is not a Navy that's had to deal with a lot of fires and a lot of damage. And, you know, while that's not something anybody aspires to, um, most naval damage control lessons are bought and paid for in blood. And if you haven't shed too much blood in there, you haven't really, um, you know, your culture doesn't really deal with it. Or, or you just don't care one way or the other. And if you don't care, you don't have to spend money on it. It's a lot cheaper. Uh, it's a lot full, a lot quicker to build things. Uh, it's a lot easier to keep them up because you just you have a lot less to keep up. It's, um, it's a very interesting observation. And, and Xavier, like you said, that's a, that is a new destroyer. 
Um, the Chinese are very proud of it, Nanning, the 52D. Um, it's actually right now in, in uh, West Africa um, with its, with its uh, escort group. And uh, the Chinese like to show this off, but um, yeah, you know, you've, you talk, talked about the Jose Rizal class, which is the Philippine two, two frigates built in Korea. And you felt like these were real warships. They, that mm -hmm. they, had, they had all the systems that you would expect on a, on a real professional high-end frigate. Not, right. not, not a ton of money. It's the Philippines. They're not going to invest in Egypt's ship. But for their purposes, a, a much more solid ship than even, even a high-end Chinese destroyer. Would you agree with that? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, totally. And uh, they, they, <laughs> I, I guess uh, what they were missing for uh, firefighting and damage control uh, equipment inside the, the vessel was uh, com compensated by uh, loads of uh, propaganda. They had all sorts of posters and even like LED lights, uh, displays uh, with like, you know, the, the typical like communist propaganda. Uh, I asked uh, one of our escort for like a translation and one of the signs said uh, something along the lines of uh, no matter uh, how far you're sailing uh, on the seas of the world uh, never forget who you're fighting for for motherland china right. okay well on that so on that relatively sobering note um xavier <laughs> this has been fascinating i, I really appreciate it um again you know i i envy you you're just all you're out there out and about all over. Um, and folks, I highly recommend uh, Xavier's website, navalnews.com, and his, uh, his many videos on uh, YouTube. He's, uh, he really covers the world like, like nobody. Xavier, thank you, thank you very much, uh, Chris, for the opportunity. It was, uh, it was an honor. Uh, it was my very first uh, podcast. I hope uh, people uh, could cope with my uh, French-American uh, accent. And uh, my next event is in a couple of weeks, actually, in, uh, in Turkey. And if I'm lucky, uh, I'll be able to get aboard uh, another mothership of sorts, uh, Anadolu. The, the Anadolu LHG uh, and drone mothership of the Turkish Navy. I look forward to seeing that. Merci beaucoup, Xavier. Merci, Chris. In the time that we have left, um, I wanted to just hit on a couple of points that um, Xavier made. Uh, first off, I, I couldn't help but... Um, you know, kind of put my head in my hands as he was talking about the motherships uh, for unmanned and uncrewed vessels. Uh, and I, I just, you know, lament where we are with LCS. I mean, so much of that sounded familiar from the conversations that you and I were having 10 years ago right. um, about the potential for LCS and, um, you know, what that ship could have done for the for our Navy. Now you see all these other navies, you, you know, moving forward with that same idea and, you know, I think Xavier's point about um, navies that are doing the technology and the mothership building in parallel, I think was a good one. And I think that that's really what has hurt the LCS momentum. I mean, yes, there's been, you know, maintenance issues. Yes, there's been engineering issues. But I think the fact that the mission modules never really married up with the hull, um, as well as, you know, how, how long we've been talking about unmanned and, and not really made good on it. Um, I hope that as, you know, as we do make these leaps, if you believe what you're hearing out of Fifth Fleet, as we make these leaps 
and unmanned, I hope that it can give a, a bit of a rebirth to how we use LCS. And I think that, you know, Xavier gives really good international uh, lessons uh, and examples of, of what could be. You really have to wonder sometimes about, you know, do, do people in the U.S. and the U.S. Navy pay that much attention to what's going on in the rest of the world? Everybody pays attention to the U.S. Navy, but is, the, is it a two-way street? And it doesn't seem often that that's the case. Uh, if you, anybody who's been on an LCS, uh, they were designed from the get-go, unlike every other um, service combatant that's in service, uh, they were designed from the get-go to operate uh, a large number of unmanned systems, unmanned aircraft, right. unmanned service vessels, unmanned underwater vessels. And they have very large flight decks, very large flight decks, very large hangars, very large mission bays. They have launch systems. They're designed to put these things in the water and recover them. And they are motherships. That's exactly what they are. Right. The, the, the module swap out system didn't work and it didn't work for, um, for an, a large number of reasons. But that idea is, is, a, is, is a sort of dead in the water. But the idea of you've got a, you've got a ship that can perform multiple missions and by the way, they, they're all fitted with a combat system that's already proven and integrated into the U.S. Navy. Right. They're, they have self-defense capability. They have speed. And they, they, they certainly have shortcomings. But, you know, the discussion always focuses on their shortcomings and very rarely looks at, well, yeah, okay, aside from that, what have we got? Um, and by the way, there's a whole lot, a lot of them that are paid for and in service and have a lot of miles left. But, um, well, I mean, that that to me is the biggest I issue. I mean, I don't want to belabor this, but they're paid for. So let's do something with them. We've talked about it before, whether it's unmanned, whether it's Marines, whether just I, I would just really like to see that platform continue to be the the test bed for new um, technology and new ideas. And as we've talked about before, drive the Chinese nuts as right. we, uh, you know, use them in different ways. Right. They And by the way, they do. Well, switching from that idea to Oh, darn Washington. Right. And, Speaking uh, of driving each other nuts. And the inside the Beltway games that are having effects far, far, far beyond the Beltway itself. So, you know, you, we, you, we've been talking about this for some time. Um, this is all the, the big holdup in three and four star nominations by Senator Tommy Tuberville from Alabama. And um, what do you make of this today? What's the what's the current sit rep? There's been a lot of things happening this week, Chris. Well, I mean, you know, if, the, if there is a, a bright side to this, I think the fact that the commandant left uh, earlier this week and that made national news, I, I hope that that national shining uh, of the light on this problem will help move, uh, you know, uh, Senator Tuberville, although there doesn't appear to be any indication that he's going to he's going to let up. But I mean, there, there's going to be chaos in, in the building um, from a, from an admin standpoint, chaos. Now, I think that. Um, you, you know, the, the deputy commandant that's filling in the VCNO, uh, who, as it was reported by our friend Sam Legrone, who will fill in when Admiral Gilday uh, re retires in, in August, um, and, and all these other admirals that are either going to stay in their jobs or are going to leave and have somebody else fill in. I, I mean, I'm confident that the, the services will be fine. But it will be an admin nightmare. Um, people's lives are held up, as we've talked about before. And it just doesn't add to the good order and discipline that you would hope um, could occur. Uh, and, and oh, by the way, it's just another distraction that really an overburdened and busy military do doesn't need. Um, so 
I'm hopeful that this thing comes to an end, but I I don't see any any cracks no. uh, in in Tuberville's resolve just yet. No, he's well, he's he's enjoying the spotlight. He's right. having a ball. Everybody wants to talk to Tommy Tuberville. Can you imagine? <laughs> I mean, he's 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 having a total ball. It's a game to him. He thinks it's fun. Could could not care less about the chaos that he's causing throughout the U.S. military. So anybody who thinks that Tuberville supports an efficient combat capable military, you're not paying attention. Um, our, our, again, Sam McGrone at uh, USNI News has had another story of even this morning as we're, as we're recording this, um, talking about a lot of the temporary positions. People are, going to, people are already being assigned as people rotate. This is the time of year when people retire. They, they, they retire, they leave the service, they move on to other jobs. There's an awful lot of rotations that happen every summer. And uh, a lot of things are happening. So you just mentioned that um, uh, Lisa Franchetti is expected to hang on um, in, in the VCNO, the Vice Chief of Naval Operations position after Admiral Gilday retires. Um, the, the White House hasn't even nominated um, as expected. We, we all think it's, it's gonna be Sam Paparo, um, the current Pacific Fleet commander, but uh, that, that nomination hasn't even happened. By the way, there has to be a vetting a time right uh, all these nominations there, there's a there's a vetting process that takes place that takes time it doesn't matter that they already have a job they've already been vetted they have, it all has to be reconfirmed they have to be reconfirmed their rank um this is a process congress is coming up on their august recess um it's unlikely that even if anything happened today and earlier this week there were some more nominations announced um that any any movement is going to take place on these things even if the holds were released it's going to be a tough sell uh, you know, Sam's reporting that, um, you know, among the positions where they're already now identifying people to act as, as in, in a temporary command, as the permanent commanders retire and move on, there's the Naval Sea Systems Command, Naval Installations Command, the uh, Naval Academy Superintendent, all are going to be open. Um, Seventh Fleet Commander Carl Thomas is going to stay in Japan because he can't get confirmed to, to become the next director of Naval Intelligence. Um, there are at least 76 flag and general officers just in the Department of the Navy, that's the Navy and the Marines, um, that are affected. And there's up to 100 others in the other services, including the Chief of Staff of the Air Force, the head of the Space Force, and on and on and on and on. And throughout the U.S. military at the highest levels, you're having this disruption, essentially so somebody can enjoy the spotlight. And, you know, good for him. He found, he found a toy he can play with. Yeah, I mean, even if he uh, even if he relents, I mean, there's still some question as to how they'll do it, right? What, what how will he relent? You, you know, will he allow the votes to happen but force a vote on each one, or will they be able to do them all at one time? Sure. Michael Hurston talks about this on uh, Bago's Friday show, uh, where they really kind of break down what this could be. So it's not even just a will he let it happen; it's how are they going to do it? Um, it it's going to be a mess for a while, um, and it's just something, as I said, that, uh, that you know we we don't need right now. No, nobody needs it. Nobody needs it at all. I do want to add one other bit of intel, um, Chris, if, if you'll indulge sure. me. Um, you know, we heard this week from a, a few sources um, that, you know, you mentioned the the likelihood that Sam Paparo, Admiral Sam Paparo would be nominated to be CNO. There was some question as to what that would do for, for PACOM. Apparently, what's being considered is Admiral Lung Aquilino um, will stay another year uh, at PACOM. 
um, which will, you know, not not force, um, you know, many thought that with uh, Pappy Admiral Paparo leaving Pack Fleet to go to CNO instead of going to PACOM, that the Navy would lose that command. It looks like at least for the next year, the the Navy will keep it with with uh, Aquilino staying. Um, and then the thought is is that that would give a year in in uh, in theater for the new Pack Fleet commander. Uh, to then go fleet up to be PACOM. So uh, I guess that's heartening for navalists who were worried that the Navy was going to lose its long hold on PACOM. All of this is is still conjecture, but it, it's starting to, uh, you know, firm up as we're hearing. Well, I think in a word, or maybe three words, <laughs> it's a mess. Right. It's a mess. Well, on that really happy note, folks, that does it for this week. As always, our thanks go out to Vaga Moradian and the Defense and Aerospace Group for their support. The Cavishers podcast is sponsored by HII. HII is the largest producer of undersea unmanned vehicles, making transoceanic missions possible. HII delivering hard stuff done right. Be sure to follow us at Cavish Ships on Twitter. And remember, this podcast is available on iTunes, Google Play, iHeartRadio, SoundCloud, and Spotify. I'm Chris Cervello. And I'm Chris Cavus. Thanks for listening, and bye-bye.